Now let me begin reading at verse 25. <clears throat> Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come to Zion from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. As regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Father, we don't want to rush into your word without bringing our heart before you and asking you, Lord, to attend to our hearts, Lord. I pray, Lord, you'd bring us a, a, a heart of humility, a heart of understanding, a heart of a willingness to uh, follow your word with hearts of obedience. I pray, Lord, you, especially in this passage, give us understanding and, and a mystery, Lord, that have caused many to scratch their heads. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I don't know if you've noticed lately, but uh, Israel's been in the news. Uh, in fact, it's the center of the news right now. You've got Hamas, who uh, in October 7th, they went in and attacked, uh, the terrorists went in and attacked Israel, killing around 1,200 Jews. Israel responded by attacking uh, the Palestinians. You have Jews taking hostages and Americans taking hostages and hostage swaps. And really, war really threatens that whole region because uh, it, Israel is surrounded by nations that really want to see it destroyed. The uh, last few weeks ago, 100,000 people protested in the United States in favor of in favor of Israel. And you're reading about all kinds of protests, anti-Semitic protests going on around the world today. So with all this hostility surrounding Israel, we come to a, a passage of Scripture today that poses a question for us. What about Israel? What about the Jews? What does the Bible say? What, what's their future? Uh, What's happened, and maybe you've noticed this, some people, when these events happen in Israel, want to pick up their newspaper and exegete the Bible. 
And so they figure out, you know, maybe by the headlines, I'll figure out what does this mean? And what does this mean? And how does this apply? Is Israel going to be defeated? Does this fit anywhere in biblical prophecy? Is this going to be the trigger for Armageddon? Are the Jews going to win the war? Is this going to usher in the return of Christ? And so the question is, what about the Jews? Well, Israel being under attack is nothing new. They've been under attack, you know, going back into ancient history. They've always been threatened by wars or involved in wars. And uh, it's always interesting that, especially in modern days, how many of the, in the church today want to look to what's happening in Israel to somehow predict prophecies that are, that are mentioned in Scripture. You know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember in 1970, the book Late Great Planet Earth came out. And I was surprised as I Googled that again this week that uh, Harold Lenz, uh, Lindsay's book is still in print after all these years. Because why? There's new events all the time. And, uh, of course, his, his thesis was in the late great planet Earth, based all the all the events that were happening in, in the Mideast, in Israel, that, uh, according to Matthew 24, this is getting close to the end. He wouldn't predict a date. He wouldn't predict a time when Christ would return. Although he does say in the book, within one generation of this book, Christ will probably return. Well, I think we've probably been through at least one generation since the book was first published. Um, you know, we're never encouraged by God to interpret Scripture based on current events. Do you realize that? Uh, it's amazing how Israel has always been in the news. A little teeny country that has no oil, really, really no wealth per se, and it's right in the middle of, of, of nowhere, a lot of desert land. But people have always been poised to destroy them. God's people not only are the center of attention of the world, but they seem to be the, the center of attention, as you look at Scripture, of redemptive history. In the Old Testament, we read how God made them a nation. God chose Abraham to be the father of faith, called out a, a people, and, and he gave them a land. And he gave them the redemptive promise of the Messiah. He redemptively, he gave them the law. He gave them the prophets. He gave them sacrificial worship, pictures of Christ to come. And then in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ came. The Messiah came. And guess what the Jews did? They rejected him. John 1.11 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And then you kind of go through church history, church history a little bit. You come to 70 A.D. Israel's destroyed. The temple's destroyed. Sacrificial worship is destroyed. The Jews are dispersed. 636, the Muslims conquered the holy sites. So the Muslims came in and conquered the, conquered the holy sites in Israel. And then, then that started a war from 1099 to 1291 where Muslims and Christians battled together over the Holy Land. And in 1291, the Arabs got the upper hand and had complete control over all of Israel. Late 1800s, the Jews began to migrate back to uh, uh, Europe, from Europe to, to Israel. 
And I was surprised to find out that, and when that happened, when, when they started to move back to Israel in the 1800s, there were only about 46,000 Jews. That, that number just really shocked me. Uh, in 1948, they became a nation again. And uh, statehood was declared. And then Jews from all over the world began to immigrate to, back to Israel. And it is where it is today. And, and where it is today spiritually, it's the same place it was spiritually when Paul wrote Romans chapter 11. God has rejected the Jews. He's turned his back on the Jews. They're, they're, there's a remnant, and there's still a remnant being saved. But that's it. And so that comes to the question for us this morning that we're going to look at. And let me just tell you ahead of time, you've got to put your thinking caps on a little bit as we go through, through this passage, uh, because it, 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 it's, it's just rich, rich in theology and, and rich also in practical application. What about the Jews? Well, what I want us to remember is this. What we're going to do in answering that question is we're going to answer the question from this perspective. Not what about the Jews as a nation. We're going to talk about what about the Jews as ethnic Israel, descendants of Abraham, those in the bloodline of, of, of Abraham. What about those Jews? And uh, come to Romans 11. This is the question he's dealing with in this chapter. Um, the Jews rejected their Messiah. What did our Lord do? God do? Uh, he cut them off. They, they were spiritually uh, judged, and, and their ability to see and understand and believe was, was deadened by God. And now only a very few, a very few in the elective plan of God, a very few are being saved. And that's been true for the past 2,000 years, down to today. Uh, so we're going to be talking today about the seed of Abraham, the ethnic seed. And here they are today, in judicial blindness, uh, rejected to Jews, elected to Gentiles, and so that's where we came in as, as a people. You know, when God rejected the Jews and he elected the Gentiles, and many of the Gentiles now are coming into the very kingdom of God by his elective purposes. And he's leaving a remnant of Jews, a remnant today. And it's interesting, you know, that there's... Um, how many Jewish people do you know that are converted to Christ? You know, I thought about that. I, I know about three or four. You know, that in my short life, um, over Trinity Bible Church was Sheila Hines. Some of you remember Sheila Hines? She was a Jewish person who was converted to Christ. You know, it was always, whenever we left her house, it was always these long goodbyes, you know, and, and so her husband said, Oh, another Jewish goodbye. You know, a Jewish goodbye means you just can't you just keep saying goodbye, 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 and you just don't leave, leave out the door. Uh, I went to seminary with a guy named Jeff Kaplan. He was a Jewish guy. Uh, he grew up in the San Fernando Valley. He was uh, born and raised Jewish. He, he had a traditional bar mitzvah. Um, he celebrated with his family all the high holidays of the Jewish religion. When he was 18, for, you know, prompting the providence of God, he decided to visit a church, a, a Christian church. 
And although he didn't hear the gospel in the church he shared with me, he began reading the Bible, and through talking to others, he came to faith in Christ uh, at the age of 18 as a result of visiting that church. Now what happened was at that point, his parents totally disowned him. In fact, there's a Jewish newspaper out in the San, San Fernando Valley where they actually put, he showed it to me, an obituary that his son, their son had died when he became a Christian. He went on to college, uh, went to Cal State U University at Northridge, and, uh, and there he felt the call of God that he was going to go into the ministry. Came to seminary, we were there at the same time at seminary, and, uh, and I, I kind of Googled him, I hadn't talked to Gee, Jeff and ages, and he's still pastoring in California, and, and he's, he has a faithful ministry there. That's rare. Jews converted to Christ is rare uh, because they have been cut off, and the Gentiles have been brought in. And then, so there's a small remnant of Jews that are, that are Christians today, but that's it. But here's our question Is he done with them? What, what about Israel? There is a small remnant, but is, is he done with them as far as redemptively and adding to how many are going to come to Christ? Uh, we're going to see that the majority have been partially hardened so that the mercy of God goes to the Gentiles. And we're going to see the rest of the story here in the end of chapter 11. Have the Jews been permanently rejected by God? Did God discard them like a soiled paper plate and He's going to basically throw it into the trash can and burn it in the heap? Has the hardness of their heart become so permanent that they will never come to Christ and they'll always be just a remnant? You know, early in, earlier in the chapter, Paul began to answer that question. God has rejected the Jews. God has elected the Gentiles. And Gentiles are now entering into the kingdom of God. Praise God for that. Uh, and so, but again, Paul has not given us the final answer to the question, what about the Jews? What about the Jews? What about ethnic Israel? What about the bloodline of Abraham? What, is he going to save all of them? Will all the Jews be saved? Will some of the Jews be saved? Will just a small portion of the Jews be saved? And if so, when? And if so, how? He's addressed this problem, and he started to answer that problem earlier in chapter 11. If you remember, he kind of got up, to, it's about ready to answer the question. And then the last time we, we were in Hebrews 11, Romans 11, he stopped, put a parenthesis in there, and dealt with the issue of spiritual pride. That's what we saw last time. Uh, there's no room for boasting. Remember the Gentiles were, hey, we made it in. We're, we're elected in. The Jews, they're out. So look at us. You know, we're God's favorite people. And a pride came into the Roman church, but also with, with, with the Gentiles at large. And he said, no, you, you don't, don't uh, do that. He says, fear me, reverence me. So let's answer the question from Scripture this morning. What about the Jews? Uh, what is the length, what's the mystery behind their judicial hardness of heart that God has given them? Now look back at verse 25. Paul begins to answer the question we asked a few weeks ago. 
Yes, they're blind. Yes, they're rejected. Today we see the length of their blindness revealed in verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Uh, that's about as pregnant of a verse as you're going to find anywhere in Scripture. If you just want to mind that and look at every word and study it out and all the implications, that is a rich, rich verse. He says, you Gentiles back in Rome, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want to, I want to tell you something that's going to help you, especially with your spiritual pride. There's a mystery, and I want to share that mystery with you. Now, whenever you see the word mystery in, in the New Testament, especially, that, that, that's a trigger word that, 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 that you cause us to understand what Paul means when he says a mystery. It's not like Sherlock Holmes. It's not like well, all the events and the facts are all, I've got to sort them all out and figure it all out. It's not that kind of a mystery. But the, the mystery here is some truth, some spiritual truth, that no one would ever know unless God first revealed it. And so when, God, when Paul says, I have a mystery, he's saying, God has revealed something to me. And you would never have known this if I now have not communicated it to you. And I want to share this mystery with you. So a bit of mystery in the sense that God reveals certain spiritual truths. And if it wasn't for him doing that, we would, we'd all be ignorant of what, he's, what the mystery is. Um, and so what is the mystery that we're talking about here? What is the mystery revealed? Here it is. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. Now think about this. Verse 7, he talked about Israel being hardened. Verse 15, he talked about them being rejected. In verse 17, he talked about them being broken off. And here he says there's a partial hardening has come to Israel. This is something new. This is part of the mystery. But what does Paul mean by a partial hardening of their heart? Does it mean it was half soft and half hard and they were kind of medium hard and not really, really hard hearts? No, but instead of that degree of hardness, think in terms of a length of hardness. A partial hardening. It's for a period of time. Uh, God's rejection of the Jews is not permanent, but only temporary. Paul is saying there will come a time in the future when things will change for the Jews. There will be a termination of this hardening that I brought upon them judicially. And when? We're going to learn about that in a minute. When, Paul, when, when is this judicial hardening going to stop for the Jews? And he answers it again. He says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So, if the until is the trigger word, if before until you have the fact that they're only going to be hardened for a period of time, until there's a trigger word, something's going to happen, it's going to bring into effect, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, things are going to change. So until indicates a, an endpoint of their of their partial hardening, their hardening. The fullness of the Gentiles has come. Now that should raise a question, right? Well, what's the fullness of the Gentiles? If the hardening is going to stop, 
When the fullness of the Gentiles comes, what is the fullness of the Gentiles? Well, at this point in time, when God has saved the full measure of the Gentiles, I believe that's when the fullness of the Gentiles has come. It's not mean that every single Gentile is going to come to faith in Christ. It's probably not talking about the second coming of Christ, but rather until the gospel has spread throughout the whole world, so that when one stands back and looks at the work of grace and redemption that, the, the, that God has done around the world, they can say, look it, God has saved the Gentiles. Not everyone, but you look at it, it looks like God has saved the Gentiles. Every nation, every language, every color, the gospel is spread around the world. Now, I don't know what that date is when, 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 when God's going to say, okay, the fullness of the Gentiles has come. I mean, on his calendar somewhere in heaven, I'm sure he has that date marked. But he hasn't revealed that date to us. But that day is coming. But I would say this, that day's a lot closer today than it was 2,000 years ago. Just look, we can see how the gospel, by the power of God, has permeated the whole world. And many, many, many Gentiles have come to faith in Christ. Now, here's the big question that we need to look at when we look at this passage. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes, how many of the Jews will be saved? Uh, the answer is found in verse 26. And you don't see a number there, do you? And you don't see a percentage. But you do see the word all. All will be saved. And this way all of Israel will be saved. So he says, and in this way, literally, uh, after this, this manner, after the Gentile nations are, are brought in and God has saved the Gentiles, all of Israel then at that point in time will be saved. How would anyone know that this day is uh, coming except if God had revealed it? And if God had not revealed this by way of a mystery, we'd be sitting here this morning, we wouldn't know anything about the future destiny of Israel, if any were going to be saved, and if so, how many, and when that would take place, that would just be a mystery. We'd never know it. So what does Paul mean by the word all? Okay, that's, that's all Israel will be saved. Now, I have to tell you right up front, there's, there's been much debate about the word all. And there's been much debate about the word Israel. So those are two words we have to understand, or we're not going to understand this passage properly. Does all mean all? Does Israel mean Israel? And if so, which Israel is he talking about? I found it quite <laughs> setting this out. You know, I've, there's a lot of views on this, uh, obviously. Uh, but I, so what I did is I, I narrowed them down to three views. They're like the top three. It's kind of like a YouTube video, you know. Here's the top three views, you know, boom, boom, boom. Uh, three views. And let me just preface what I'm about to say is that this is no slam dunk. This isn't like going to be, oh, here's the easy, simple answer. It's going to answer all the questions. And this is the, you know, realize this, that uh, good men disagree on these three, three views of all in Israel. Uh, so I want to share with you the three views. The last view, the third view, is, is the one that I've been persuaded by, and I'll just share that with you by my own, by the fruit of my own studies in in in, in the past few weeks. But number one, here's the first view. Remember, put your thinking cap on. Okay, here we go. 
First view, all in Israel, okay? All elect Jews throughout redemptive history will be saved. Follow that one? All elect Jews throughout redemptive history. In other words, God is going to save, he saved a remnant. He's saving a remnant, and he'll continue to save a remnant. And when you add up remnant plus remnant plus remnant at the very end, that will equal all of the redemptive, uh, all the elect Jews. In other words, God's going to save every Jew that he's chosen to save. And he continues to save a remnant today. This view holds that there's not going to be any great salvation of Jews in large numbers. It's just... It's the cumulative amount of all those Jews whom God has chosen before the foundation of the world. Remnant plus remnant plus remnant. And by the way, this view is widely held in reform circles. I mean, these, these are big guys. So, I mean, these are guys like Ritterboss, uh, Bavnik. These are guys like Louis Burkhoff. All the Dutch guys, you know, they, they held to this. And, you know, I love William Hendrickson. I think I got every one of his commentaries. I just go to him as one of my first go-to guys when I'm studying. But, but he also held to this view as well. So, I mean, there's some real heavyweights in this view. Uh, but I, what I want you to see, though, I'm, I'm, when I come to the third view in a minute, uh, there's some weaknesses in this view. I'm going to bring them out at that point in time and help, help us see those. Number two, here's a second view. All means all of Israel. All of spiritual Israel. Not, we're not talking about ethnic Israel, national Israel. We're talking about spiritual Israel. All of sp spiritual Israel will be, be saved. Remember we said who, who we said the spiritual Israel was? That's you. Well, I'm not a Jew. You are, spiritually. You know, sons of Abraham, daughters of Abraham, we're all children of faith. We, Romans 9, 6 says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. So we are spiritual Israel. In other words, what, so what Paul is saying here is that all of spiritual Israel... Every Jew and every Gentile chosen by the grace of God will be saved. The collective group. The remnant of the Jews plus every Gentile saved. We are all spiritual Jews. And this, this view was held by John Calvin. Calvin says, but I extend the word Israel to all the people of God according to the meaning, quote, when the Gentiles shall come in, the Jews shall also return from their defection to the obedience of faith, and thus shall be completed the salvation of the whole of Israel of God, which must be gathered from both, and yet in such a way that the Jews shall obtain the first place, being, as it were, the firstborn in God's family. And so he sees that as a collective group of all the Jews and all, all, all of the, all the Gentiles that God is going to save. Okay, here's the third view. All of Israel means all of Israel. It's pretty simple. That, uh, I mean, if first blush, that doesn't sound very profound, but, uh, but all of Israel means all of Israel. Israel now, let's define Israel. Under this view, Israel would be 
ethnic Israel, descendants of bloodline descendants of Abraham, Jews. And all doesn't mean every, every Jew without exception, but it does mean that kind of like with the Gentiles, if you stood back when God's done, and you say, listen, all the Jews have been saved. The, 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 the Jews are now become are a Christian. And, uh, and so there'll be a, a big ingathering of, of Jews on that day. In fact, uh, I believe this is really so glorious, so dramatic, that uh, you'd stand back and say, wow, look what God has done. He saved the Jews. Uh, now, there's others, great men here that hold to this view. J.C. Ryle, if you, if you follow him, uh, Anglican bishop. Charles Hodge. R.C. Sproul holds to this view. And I believe, you know, I'm going to share with you some reasoning here in just a minute, but I believe this is, is the better view, at least for today I'm persuaded. <laughs> Not that I couldn't be persuaded tomorrow another way, but I believe this to be the better understanding of this verse. Uh, not, to go to, not to go to the stake over it. Don't line me up on the firing squad. But I want to share with you the following reasons. The strongest argument comes from the context of chapter 11. I think that is the strongest argument in favor of this view. Look at verse 25. What Paul is clearly speaking of here in, is a contrast between Jew and Gentile. He's talking about the Jews and then the Gentiles. Um, what he's saying is that God is saving many Gentiles today, and he's not saving many Jews today. And so Israel, that Paul is speaking of here in verse 25, would clearly have to be understood to be the descendants of Abraham, the ethnic Israel, uh, the bloodline of, of, of Abraham. You've got two groups, Gentiles and, and ethnic Jews. And as we saw, the, the Bible speaks of Israel in the spiritual sense. And so we, we realize that you know, Israel could be Jew and Gentile together. But the problem is, in verse 25, he's clearly making a distinction between the two. And when you come down to verse 26, what he's doing is, says, when he says, all Israel shall be saved, that's the same Israel he's talking about in verse 25, which is ethnic Israel. Now the question is, what about all? Will every single Jew be saved, or less than all? Well, Paul doesn't say how many exactly will be saved. He does say all of Israel will be saved, and all the Jews will be saved. And, and I believe what he's saying there is, uh, this is a mystery. It's a big mystery. It's a grand mystery. What God's going to do is something greater than just saving a remnant. It's going to be glorious. And ever since Christ, God has been saving a remnant. But things are going to change when the fullness of the Gentiles comes. Things are going to change. And at that point, all of ethnic Israel will be saved. Now, I, you know, when you think about that, it's probably not every single Jew that anyone walks on the face of the earth. But I think when you stand back and look at the broad scheme of what God has been doing or will be doing at that point, you'll have to stand back and say, wow, God is saving all the Jews. You know, it's, it's, it's just a, a big ingathering of, of, of souls being saved 
at that point in time. Now, to support this view, Paul uses scripture. He uses Isaiah 59.20. He uses Isaiah 27.9. For example, uh, Isaiah 59, next verse, he says, As it is written, Isaiah 59, The deliverer will come from Zion, and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. Great promise God is giving to the Jews is being filled. Who is the deliverer from Zion? Is it Jesus Christ? Is it his second coming? No, I don't think so. Better view might be his work on the cross. Deliverer from Zion came, purchasing redemption for his people. And there's coming a generation that will receive salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ethnic Jews. And then verse 27. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So there, there's a promise. Here's my covenant with, with the Jews. I'm going to take away their sins. A great victory of the gospel is going to take place. And this sums up all that's taught by, about salvation of the Jews and the Gentiles. The fulfillment of the covenant promise of God to take away the sins of his people. Now, look at verse 28. This is uh, speaking of the Jews. As regards the gospel, they, the Jews, ethnic Israel, are enemies for your sake, Rome. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So, regarding the, the Jews, um, they're enemies. That's why we only have just a, a remnant of, of Jews. They're enemies for your sake. In other words, they rejected Christ. They rejected the gospel. They're, they're enemies of, of the gospel of grace uh, through faith. But that was for your sake, Gentiles, Romans. But as regards election, their eternal destiny, their elective purposes, your elective purposes in them, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. And so you see, see where, where Israel is at this point. I mean, at this point, you see Israel as they're enemies of God. There's just a remnant being saved. And yet God still has an elective purpose for those people. And what's going to happen is that elective purpose is going to just blossom out in, into a, a large conversion of Jews. And why did he do that? For you Gentiles. Now you're brought in Gentiles. As regards to touching the election... They are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Jews are enemies today, but in relation to election, on that day when, when uh, all the fullness of the Gentiles comes, there will be that large, peculiar people that he's saving. They'll be the object of his divine favor. It's interesting, you can be a people that, on one hand, are enemies of God, judicially hardened, and still be the elective people of God for which he's going to have a big purpose for down the road. But that, that's where the Jews find themselves here. But even in the midst of the judgment on them, they still remain a special place in God's plan of redemption. Now you say, well, why, how do we know this promise of God is sure? How do we know he's going to do what he promises to do? This mystery is going to come to, to pass. Verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. It's going to happen. 
His gifts, his calling, his covenants, his prerogatives, they don't change. He's, he's immutable. Now, when you come to verse 30, we just those are the Gentiles we looked at in the previous verse. I mean, I'm sorry, the Jews. But, but look at verse uh, 30, where he's speaking about the Gentiles now. For just as you, okay, Rome, Gentiles were one time disobedient to God, but now you've received mercy because of their disobedience. And so praise the Lord that uh, they were disobedient. They were cut off. You were brought in. You were elected in. You received mercy. Why? Because of their disobedience. And then verse 31, it's interesting how this parallels together. Now he switches to the, to the, the Jews. So they too now have been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. And so you, you got that parallel, this parallel truths that uh, so you too, Jews, um, have been, you've been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, or the Gentile, they also may, the Jews also may receive mercy. And so he links 31, and he links with 30. There's a parallel there, verse 30, he's speaking to the Gentiles. 31, he's speaking to the Jews. And he's saying, uh, look, look how this all works out. Both of you are going to be disobedient, and both of you are going to receive mercy by my elective purpose. Mercy that's going to bring salvation. So how could you have any spiritual pride, Rome, Gentiles? You're all brought in the same way. You're all disobedient. You all receive mercy. You're on the same level. Verse 30, For just as the Gentiles, you were at one time disobedient, but now you have received mercy because of their disobedience. The Jews, verse 31, So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, the Gentiles, they may also receive mercy on that day when Christ, when the fullness of the gospel comes. Both Jews and Gentiles uh, were in unbelief, were disobedient, and received mercy. None of you deserve salvation, but I'm pouring it out to both of you. And then verse 32, For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all again. Now, consigned, uh, some of your translations might be different there. God has consigned all to disobedience. Uh, literally shut them up in their disobedience. Both Jew and Gentile, that's everybody. And uh, that he may have mercy on all. By the way, just a footnote here. Uh, you see in your Bible where it says, and that he might have mercy on all. This is one of the great proof texts for universalism. Those people who believe that God's going to save everybody in the whole world and no one's ever going to be lost, there's no hell, everything's heaven and unicorns and all that, it's, it's uh, that they may have mercy on all. They camp on that. Uh, this is their proof text. But uh, how do we understand all? Both Jew and Gentile alike is how I think the best way to understand it, not all of mankind, all in the sense of Jew, but he's going to save both Gentiles and Jews. They'll both be in the kingdom together. Now let's see if we can't bring this down into some application for us this morning. Uh, we see that God is 
in, in his redemptive kindness, even though the Jews have rejected Christ, even though he's hardened their hearts so that now only a very small remnant are actually being saved, uh, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes, and on whatever day that is, which we're a lot closer now than it was when Paul wrote this, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then all of the Jews will be saved. All of those who are ethnic Israel, blood descendants of Abraham. So what about the Jews? Well, here's the mystery revealed. And we just looked at it. And uh, right now it's bleak days for the Jews. <laughs> I mean, spiritually speaking, it's bleak days by the providence of God. Uh, there's very few coming to Christ. It's a wonder, it's a, it's a miracle. It's always a miracle anyway, but it's really a miracle when, when a person who's a descendant of Abraham comes to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's good news here for the Jews. The day of remnants will be over with. And when the day of the Gentiles comes, there'll be a rich ingathering of Jews. So we can say that God is saving all the Jews. When's that going to happen? When the fullness of the Gentiles comes. When does the fullness of the Gentiles come? We don't know. It doesn't, Paul doesn't tell us. But here's the thing. I would, is anyone, of, uh, anyone in the room related to Abraham by blood? Is there a Jew, Jewish person here today? So what does that make us? We're all what? Gentiles. And that's good news for us. On a couple levels. Because what it means is that uh, when God is through doing his saving work with us, he's going to begin to do a massive saving work with the Jews. But until then, his redemptive plan today is he's saving Gentiles. He's saving people like you and me, people who have no bloodlines with Abraham at all. And uh, this is a day of grace for us. And we know that from the word of God. He's delighting in saving Gentiles, bringing them into the kingdom of God, forgiving their sins. And, and the good news is that uh, if you're here today without faith in Christ, here's the good news. God is saving Gentiles. And he sent his son to bring salvation to Gentiles. And anyone here today without Christ who would just look and see that the Messiah has come, that he sacrificially laid down his life and made full payment for the sins of all of his people, that his call to you is to repent of your sins and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. As a Gentile, you, you realize you're, you're well within the favor or general favor of God being, he's working in the midst of Gentiles. And you can walk through those two doors on the way out having been transformed by the mighty power of God and been given the gift of everlasting life and have your now your clothes being clothed in the very righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. I mean, the bad news is, as a Gentile, if you remain in your sin, you die in your sin. You'll pay eternity making payment for your sin. But today is the day of salvation for the Gentiles. Now, there's a message for Christians here as well, Gentile Christians. For us as a church, Redeeming Grace Church. We know this. God has given us a mystery, and he's told us what it is. And if he hadn't told us, we would never know. And the mystery is simply this, that uh, one day 
maybe soon, God's going to save all, all the Jews. So does that help us in our prayer life? I mean, what did Paul pray? Beginning of chapter 11. He prayed for his people. He only prayed for their salvation. He prayed that knowing what the mystery was. And if we know that God is going to be saving many Jews, I think part of our prayer life is we're going to be praying for the salvation of Israel. Not as a nation. Israel is a people, Israel, the Jewish people. Our church family prayers, our, our church prayers, uh, as we gather together, God, save the Jews. Save the Jews. May this be the day when the fullness of the Gentiles has come and the Jews will be ushered into your kingdom by election. Since uh, the future restoration will be brought by the conversion of the Gentiles, I was thinking about this. There's a motive there, hidden motive there for us to, to, to evangelize. If Israel is going to be brought in when the fullness of the Gentiles takes place, then we ought to be about, be about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that many of the Gentiles would come into the kingdom of God and usher in the time when all the Gentiles will be saved as well. Most of us will never have an opportunity maybe to witness to a Jewish person. But what we can do is preach the gospel to Gentiles, bring in the, the fullness of the Gentiles so that many of the, the Jews will eventually come to saving faith in Christ. I know that uh, some of you know Baruch Meos. Uh, he's a Jewish guy and uh, pastor, retired. Now he's writing books. So I got an email from him, and uh, you know he's converted to Christ. And I think he's preached here before. You, you, you've seen, many of you have met Baruch and his wife Baraka, but... Uh, when this war started, this guy's older than I am, so he's older than dirt. And do you know the first thing he did? I'm going to Israel. I'm getting on a plane, and I'm flying right in the middle of that war. I'm going to Israel. When I was a young man, I was a medic for the Jewish army. I don't know what I can do, but I'm going there to bring the gospel to my people. And he's still there right now. And I'm not, I'm not quite sure how God is using him over there, but he realized that God, God's going to be saving the Jews. And he wanted to be part of that. And so he's over there and, and hopefully bring encouragement, but also bringing Christ in that war-torn nation. By the way, the rest of the chapter is so rich, it's full of, uh, of, of wonderful good news. When you hear a mystery like this, what do you do with it? You know what Paul did? He worshiped. When he heard this from God, he said, man, this is amazing. I, I would have never known this if God hadn't revealed it to me. And that's why he ends with this doxology at the end of this chapter. And I actually, this, this doxology is so rich. I, I, I went back and forth and I said, you know what? We're going to spend at least one Lord's Day down next month going over this doxology. He breaks forth in praise to God. And we're going to sing it at the very end of our service, this doxology. When you sing it, sing it in, in memory of the fact and recollection of the fact that God is going to do a great work of redemption that we, we haven't fully seen yet. And he says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Father, thank you, Lord, for this passage. And uh, Lord, there's truths in this world that we, that we would never have stumbled on in our own feeble thoughts if you hadn't revealed them to us. And this is one of them. And Father, I thank you that we know that there's coming a day and there's coming a, a harvest of souls, an ingathering, Lord, of, of the, those you have you covenanted with uh, many, many years ago. And we know, Father, that many, and you say all the Jews will be saved. Lord, I pray, we pray towards that end. We ask, Lord, that it might be soon. Until then, we thank you, Lord, for the redemptive work you're doing with us Gentiles, that many of us have come to faith in Christ as a, as a fulfillment of the very mystery you've shared with us. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs>